Welcome to This Never Happens, the podcast with Lillian Edwards, Christina Lake and Ian Sorensen. Hello, this is the second episode of This Never Happens, the podcast, which means the first one actually happened. Some people even listened to it. Everyone loved Lillian's errata, so we're going to make sure she makes more mistakes. <laughs> Not very hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably me that makes the mistakes. Later in the show, we'll be talking about lockdown TV, highs and lows of the last fortnight, and who knows what else. Uh, but first, I just wanted to say that I feel a bit of a fraud doing a podcast, as until recently, I only ever regularly listened to one podcast. That was a film review podcast from Mark Commode and Simon Mayo. Uh, which my partner Doug introduced to me me to many years ago. So I have been listening to it a long time. So to me, Mark and Simon's Wittertainment is the platonic ideal of a podcast. No, <laughs> so it's not Octopod at all. <laughs> anyway, what I like is they've got lots of in-jokes, so don't be surprised if I start saying things like hello to Jason Isaacs or tinkety-tonk and down with the Nazis, which are frequent catchphrases on their programme. So what I like about the podcast, that podcast, apart from the fact it keeps me up to date with films, which is really useful, is kind of a repartee or bickering between Mark and Simon. So they do talk about anything and everything, just like we do in this podcast. And Simon does weird anecdotes. Mark does inspired rants about films. Simon turns contrarian on Mark and um, if he gets too pretentious... And they even have the equivalent of Ian in their producer, Simon Poole, who each week provides an excruciatingly bad joke to introduce DVD of the week, Um, which they do their best to mess up because they actually have to tell the joke. So I think he despairs. So anyway, that's kind of my podcasting inspiration. It's a fairly, fairly good format because it's the same thing for... The Bugle, which is one of my favourite podcasts with Andy Zaltzman, and it used to be John Oliver, and now uh-huh. it's Andy and a, a rolling band of people like Nish Kumar and Alice oh, Fraser and Harry Kondabolu and people. So, uh, but it's topical satire. But they have a producer called Chris, and Chris occasionally chips in bits. But um, the audience there, the rolling gag is that he replaced a previous producer that everybody liked. And so everybody started finishing their, their messages to the, the Bugle people with, and fuck you, Chris. And that's now become... That has now become after, you know, it's oh, five we could, years or we something. We could introduce that one for here. Yes. So, totally. Can after, we end every sentence with, and fuck you, Fuck you, you Lily. <laughs> fuck you and the pun you rode in on. So, Lillian, do you listen to any podcasts? Um, not very many. <laughs> she says rather worried. Just like me, that. <laughs> that was sprung on me. Um, I, I have tended to regard podcasts as a really a subset of BBC radio comedy programmes. You know, I mean, it's very hard to, for me to separate out a BBC radio comedy programme like the news quiz that can be subscribed to a bit like a podcast. From a podcast. I don't think there are any actual podcasts I listen to. I mean, I listen to Now Show and the News Quiz and Dead Ringers. Oh, and I listen to some of the BBC ones that aren't comedy, 
like like digital planet and more or less oh my god that was exciting moment of the last three days it's not high point of the week because i have another of those but i was listening to more or less which is the bbc statistics show very nerdy which has really come into its own during covid19 i mean who would have thought everyone with the entire country would be fixated on stat on statistics until covid19 and they have extended their season they've, they've been asked specially to extend their season and i was so pleased no i was pleased about that too but the thing that uh, i quite like about all these bbc shows that you're mentioning is the half an hour yes that's good that yeah, because I there agree. are some some of the podcasts I listen to minimum an hour and a half, and I, you know I'm one of these people that has to put it on one and a half times speed to play it back. Otherwise, I would just you know lose the will to live. No matter how interesting or funny it is, uh, I think that it's one of the reasons I was quite keen for this podcast not to run two hours which is uh, i don't think there's any chance of it running for two hours by the time as we said last time we've cut out 80 percent of it to make it even vaguely listenable there's about 20 minutes left and then we have to record some more lillian you wanted to talk about lockdown tv yeah, this has been an interesting phenomenon of the, the pandemic period, hasn't it? Which we're now kind of exiting. So it, it seems a good chance to talk about it before we forget about it. Um, TV that was made in conditions of lockdown and was there often filmed on Zoom and was therefore very simplistic, quite amateurish, didn't have much in the way of background music, perhaps obviously didn't have multiple cameras usually. And I think it's been a really interesting phenomenon. And also it's worth uh, distinguishing from TV we watched during lockdown, which is different. And we might come on to that. And in fact, Christina thought that was a whole different thing than I meant by lockdown TV, which is interesting, seeing what your different zeitgeist are. Zeitgeist is going to feature heavily in this section. Um, <laughs> That's why it was in your notes. The, 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 that's in my nose. Don't give that away. You're giving away the magic. Where the magic happens, yes, again. <laughs> um, because, yeah, like, like ordinary TV that everyone watched during the lockdown was like normal people, normal TV with normal people. Um, whereas lockdown TV, I think the predominant example is staged, which we all wanted to talk about, um, which is a series of short, wonderfully short, podcast short episodes that are all about 15 or 20 minutes long featuring David Tennant and Michael Sheen obviously reprising their partnership from Good Omens which obviously went down extremely well and they have fantastic chemistry um, as two actors sort of vaguely rehearsing on Zoom uh, six characters in search of an author. I've actually done some homework on stage because I do think it is wonderful. I think it is a triumph not only of lockdown but it's going to be a kind of encapsulation of everything that we felt I think about being locked in our houses during a pandemic and yet it's not serious it's not the world at war it's not the bloody daily press briefing it's gloriously capturing here it comes the zeitgeist say it with me kids um because I think at the same time that it's very funny and that the characters trivialise themselves and show up their flaws and, you know, make fun of themselves in all kinds of ways, there is a tremendous underlying melancholy. And I think that's really good. You know, they are living their lives, they're not dying, 
there's a vague mention of someone's neighbour, of Michael Sheen's neighbour, who is an old lady, and we think at one point maybe she has been taken away to hospital and maybe she has died, but it turns out she hasn't because it's not that kind of programme. Um, but there is a definite sense of, you know, what are we doing with our lives? What has happened to our life? What has happened to the world? And for me, it just really, really, really captured that feeling at the same time as it is terribly, terribly funny. So I don't know. What did anyone else well, think? I, I think you're right that captured that feeling of lockdown. And I think that was part of a problem for me when I first started watching it was that it actually made me feel quite queasy. For the first episode, I was expecting to laugh, and I did, but it took me back to the beginning of lockdown and what I wanted at the time was not lockdown. It was something that wasn't lockdown. So I think everything you say is true about it. It just has so happened that when I started watching it, it actually made me feel slightly, yeah, I suppose because it did have that underlying sadness to it. And I just also, because like you, I spend a lot of time on Zoom and similar for work. And it just felt a little bit too much like that to actually be fully enjoyable. But that that feeling passed pretty rapidly. So by the time I was watching the later episode, I'd, I'd kind of knew what it was about. So I think I really enjoyed it, but I did find it a little bit stagey at times that they were doing their sort of lovey, actory banter with each other. You know, it was... <laughs> Maybe that's why it's called stage. Yes, I think maybe because it was a little <laughs> bit staged. But, you know, things I loved. I loved the things they did with the credits. I loved... Oh, the yeah, credits. They kept oh. doing that. Are we allowed to give away the joke, one of the jokes about the credits? Because it is so much the best If you want to give away think. one joke, you probably can. Well, you've given away the whole plot, but, <laughs> you know... Yes, but there is no plot. That was the other thing I was going to say, is it was great, but it didn't really need the plot. The plot elements were a bit clunky, but the actual, the rest of it was really good. So apart from um, the speciality of it, as it were, that makes it, I think, wonderful and unique uh, of being evocative of the, the, the lockdown... I think it is in itself an incredibly good piece of comic writing, even outside of that. I mean, because it's kind of the spiritual air, I think, to Michael Frayn and Noises Off. It's using the same techniques of timing of really classic farce, but in this very modern setting, you know, as opposed to butlers and people in, you know, seaside hotels and bundling babies and in baskets and all the stupid things that you do with kind of Oscar Wilde or farce or something... It's, you know, it's characters we know with their wives and their children and so forth. And yet the timing is fantastic. And it's using the timing of Zoom. That's what I really loved. I love the fact that they're using the fact that you can be on Zoom and you don't know who else is on the Zoom. And just when someone's about to say something, you lose the connection. Or just when someone's delivering their most heartfelt speech, you know, the, they freeze and they come back and they don't know that they've frozen and the other person is going, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And we've all been there. And it was just the fact that it was using it within the confines of what is a very a very stratified, a very written uh, genre, which is farce. You know, you have to get farce right. You can't just make it up as you go along, right? But they were using it within what looked like this really naturalistic lockdown TV Zoom milieu. And I think that was complete brilliance. <laughs> yes, I, I agree that that, that that was 
very well, very well done. Uh, I wouldn't call it a farce, though. It's a character study more than anything else, and it mirrors the what happens in Six Characters in Search of an Author, which is one of the more, what do you call it, a seminal bit of uh, absurdist theatre. Was it Pirandello? I think it's Pirandello who did Pirandello. it. Pirandello. There were some little bits where they were really drawing so much on what you know of themselves. And maybe this is because I'm way too big a David Tennant fan as opposed to a Michael Sheen fan, actually, and have followed David Tennant pretty obsessively ever since he was the Doctor. But at that point when he says, I bring charm to the table and you bring gravitas. (laughs) And I thought that is really, really, really self-insightful and really self-cutting because that is what David Tennant brings. He does bring charm. He does not bring gravitas. And the fact throughout that their discussions that he was like the child and to some extent Michael Sheen was the sophisticated one who got his act together. I thought that was very funny because actually David Tennant, you know, has been acting since he was about five and has about 19 children. So he probably is the one that's the adult, actually. I thought they were both... (laughs) Fairly acting like children, and maybe yes. the women in their lives had to play the parental role, and they were the boys yes. acting out. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to make too much of it, but if you think about the people that were that were in it, the characters, there were the two of them and the two wives. There was the agent, uh, sorry, the director, and I love could, the director and. <laughs> I was going to, initially when I thought of this, I was going to include the Sam Jackson role because he was originally meant to be in it. But ultimately, it's the director's sister. And they are the six characters. Okay. In search of an author. And it turns out, and then you saw this in the final episode, the author they were seeking was Tennant's wife. Or Or Tennant himself. (laughs) Because yeah. they ended up doing the only bit... We never heard a single word of the play they were meant to be rehearsing, but we did no. hear what he had written during the lockdown. And I thought that was the meta side yeah. of it. Oh, that's very good. I like right. that. My God, that's incredibly lit. Yeah. Well, there's six of them <laughs> at that point. After all these years, you continue to surprise me. <laughs> yes. Well... It's just old Maybe we age. should all go and see six characters in search of an author after this. Oh, no, you'll know how it ends now. <laughs> <laughs> and the credits won't, credits won't be as good. So, uh, we've, we'll all agree that stage was a, 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 a triumph of sorts. Even Christina was won over by the naive charm of, of the couple. But um, there were lots of other ordinary well, ordinary, regular TV programmes that had to change format, mostly the panel shows that that were going out. So uh, I I thought the first couple of Have I Got News For Yous were terrible and I I gave up just about, but there were some. I think it made a difference getting a decent chair for it uh, that kept it going. And by the end, I thought they, they handled the format reasonably well. So who is the chair for it? Well, there's different ones each week. So the, it's when they got... Um, what is it, Martin Clunes? Oh, yes, he's normally good. He was good. Uh, I can't remember what other ones. Uh, did they have Victoria Corrin? 
they always have Victoria yeah. Gordon and Alexander yeah. Armstrong. Yeah. But there were there were some that that worked and some that didn't, and it came down to them feeling comfortable to just be themselves on Zoom and not try and pretend they were in a, a TV studio. <laughs> um, okay, whereas I did not see all of the Have I Got News For Yous in lockdown, but I saw some, I did see the Victoria Corrin one, so that was probably a bit into the run. Um, and I thought they were dreadful. I thought it actually showed up everything that's already creaky and wrong with the former. I thought the two main people, Ian Hislop and Paul Merton, whom I used to love, came over as bored and, you know... Uh, boring. Just milking the thing. Yeah, <laughs> bored and boring. <laughs> dumb and dumber. No, no, not dumb and dumber. Clever and clever and clever. Uh, I just really hated it. I thought with the lack of a laughter track, you, you, they did not very good jokes and they just lay there like a lead balloon or a dead shit or something like that. And I hated it. I really hated it. And I hope, actually, in a way, this kills it because... I just think going on with it now is just, you know, flogging a dead turd or some phrase like that. <laughs> Whereas um, Graham Norton, which again is a, a very, very long-running programme that I pretty much begun to feel had really outlived its format. Again, I loved Graham Norton in the early days. I loved the idea of having all these disparate guests who don't really know each other on one couch together, behaving as if they're people who are just like being introduced to each other at a rather, rather weird party. Um, it suddenly actually worked really well, I thought. Again, in the really weird circumstances of lockdown. I mean, he may just have picked better guests. Um, but there seemed to be a genuine spark. And also, I think it just worked better for some clever bit of editing because he put the different characters in different houses on Zoom next to each other in a strip, the way that they did in staged, in fact. Whereas, have I got news for you? Tried to have them in little separate boxes, as if they were little separate panels, I guess. And that just didn't work at all. It just felt like they were in different worlds and there was no interaction and it was dead, it was stale. Mm. Whereas the Graham Norton thing still had quite a lot of pizzazz about that. Maybe it is to do with a format, because have I got news for you does rely on the two people in each of the teams kind of forming a little bit of a bond together. So for me, one of the programmes I did think worked during lockdown's comedy show was The Mash Report with Nish Kumar. Um, mm. I, one of those programmes where I felt previously was quite hit or miss. I think one of the reasons why it worked quite well in lockdown was because actually it doesn't need the audience. When mm. I've watched The Mash Report, I've almost felt that a studio audience is a little bit of a something that they feel they have to do in that format to make it look more like an American sat satirical show. So I didn't miss that at all when it came out. Also, I think there's parts of a show are already pre-recorded, so they have segments anyway that come up, so yeah. it's not all relying on the audience. And the bits that they but does have interaction on it, which is mainly the bits between Nish and Rachel Parrish or Nish and some of the people he interviews work perfectly well over Zoom because mm. it was a one-to-one -one conversation. Yeah. So it all felt like it adapted really well to the new format. And the other thing that I thought worked in a similar way was the Charlie Brooker Scream White for Pandemic, oh, yeah. which... 
That was tremendous. Basically, that programme's always about Charlie Brooker sitting in his room on the sofa looking at the TV. Mm. So there was absolutely no yeah, adjustment so good, that was needed. Yeah. Mm. So I think it can I be done. I've about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes I, agree, I agree that the Nish Kumar that, one worked. also had that note of melancholy, if I can just say, that the Charlie Brooker one, I felt. It was almost like... Because he's always been a bit like that. He's always been like he's been looking out over the smouldering ruins of anything that was Western civilization. you know? And it really fed into that as his kind of, you know, trademark note. Mm. It must have been really easy to get into the mood for that one, then. (laughs) That was really uh, funny. If we go back to the MASH report, one of the things that Christina mentioned there was that in this series the, uh, Rachel Paris wasn't there most of the time. I think she did one or possibly no, two No, she did two or three, episodes. but not enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it it, um, it gave it gave a chance for the other people to, to, to shine a bit. Uh, in particular, I mean, we mentioned him in conversations previously, Michael Spicer. Uh, yeah, that who was... Has been in the, he's been in the MASH report from the start, Doing these film, you know, the filmed inserts. He plays the husband uh, in suburban house in some sketch or other. Yeah, because in the, the last the episode, basically Michael Spicer seemed to be playing everything, and that was the first yeah. time that I saw the room oh, next wow. door. Oh really? I yeah, that was my intro. I didn't see them. I only saw the one that he was in as the room next door, and that's when I went mad about really? the room next oh, door. Well, yeah, I've got the whole series on well, tape. Been, I didn't see it. Yes, I'd been watching the room next door stuff from before the Mash Report almost. Um, well, I, I mean, I recognised him in the Mash Report. Went, this from, is amazing, and then went and watched all the rest on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's what we all did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Michael Spicer is clearly the breakaway hit of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, again, I have to say he was doing this two years ago before the pandemic. I know, but pandemic. he is. It's made but him. He's, I mean, he was he completely made viral. He but was one, on Newsnight. <laughs> well, better than that, he was on the James Corden Late Late mm-hmm. Show in the States and he's now yeah, broken the States. Normal. I mean, he's no, been doing the Trump It's ones, not normal right? for somebody who was a, an advertising copywriter until eight months ago to be on as a guest on the James Corden show doing yeah, his thing. Yeah, still in the comedy regime. I, oh, I yeah. just don't think you get very many YouTube comedians who suddenly get promoted as a cultural commentator. On but don't you tonight. think the biggest service <laughs> that Michael Spicer has done has meant that you can watch politicians and sit there and think about what he would say, yeah. what the person behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. is saying, and that allows you to break through the bullshit and actually bear to listen to <sighs> the nonsense they're talking. It's mm. fantastic. You know how there's that line that the best satire always leaves you looking at the world like, is this a joke? Is this satire? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like when you watch Brazil, the film, and you come out and the whole world <laughs> looks surreal and you wait for heating engineers to swing across the road, you know, mm. and rescue you from the secret police. And that's how I felt every time I watched The Room Next Door. And then you went and listened to, like, Matt Hancock press conference. Was you, could just you could write it yourself. absolutely imagine him there. Yeah. And that was the no, absolute I, I, brilliance. I think, I think the crowning achievement was the Pretty Patel one. Yeah. <laughs> Don't oh. say that. I've watched that about, I, I showed that to my entire family on Saturday. My entire yeah. family, who are mostly right-wing and gay as and they were just wetting themselves. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that um, 
if I met him, I would ask him, why are you always eating something? Is there a hidden message? Is there a hidden message in what you eat? Right, Lillian, can you tell us about your highs and lows of the week? <sighs> okay, my, my, my high point, a kind of mixed, slightly melancholic high point of the fortnight was that, as I've said a few times, I've been doing all this work for the last three months on the UK NHSX contract tracing app and the various things that were wrong with it in terms of privacy and surveillance and also stupidity and just not working. And it got canned. It got canned on the 18th of June, which was a great shock to all of us, including the NHS Ethics <laughs> Board, which I probably shouldn't say, because we were waiting to have a meeting, and then we got told, oh, there's not much point in having a meeting. Um, I ended up on PM talking about it, and various friends of mine ended up all over the place on other TV programmes, and the whole thing was quite strange. So that really means the end for me of what I have spent almost all of lockdown working on. And it leaves you with this strange feeling of, was that a complete waste of time? Which is one of these things that hits you if you work in my kind of field ever so often. If you work to try and kind of try and prevent things that are illiberal, um, mostly you lose. And if you win, was you know there was all that time in your life that you spent on it and now it's gone <laughs> you know so it left me with this really really strange feeling of melancholy a bit like stage maybe that's why stage spoke to me so much um and also with this strong feeling of what do I do next in my life so this is a bit personal this is a bit like the personal bits we used to do in our fanzines um because I came out of it feeling that I had been oddly and rather perhaps rather you know, badly, evilly almost. I had been very happy doing this, even though, you know, tens of thousands of people were dying, which is not good. Um, but I had felt useful and wanted and clever, and I'd met lots of really fascinating people and got to talk a lot, um, all of which is what I devote my life to, really. And what do I do now? What do I do now? You know, walking away from this tiny, tiny, tiny bit of limelight. So it's been a quite a thoughtful, slightly strange little period for me in which I haven't really quite worked out what I'm going to do next. So that was, I suppose, mainly perhaps my high point and my low point of the fortnight. It's you can. No, you're combined. You're concatenating <laughs> them. Well, I think I had a low point too, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to concatenate mine. That sounded pretty low. Yeah. Right, go on, concatenate away. I was going to concatenate mine, but they sound really, it sounds really trivial after Lillian's. But oh, we could do with a bit of trivial after <laughs> okay, that. Okay, I'm going to start yeah. with it. Sorry, was that? I no, don't know. no, it was it's really good, Lillian. No, it was good. So I was going to start with the fact that my high point of the week or possibly my low point would have been flying ant day but <laughs> have you ever heard of flying ant day i've no, heard sorry, of sorry i yeah. thought i'd misheard flying it. Ant I, day. I was trying to understand what it meant <laughs> well apparently it happened last week and it happened in certainly happened in cornwall devon um the new forest kent etc wow. and i'd never heard of it and i was just sitting there talking to my brothers and they're all saying you've heard, you've heard of flying ant day i think they made it up you know but it's on it is on <laughs> is it when 
was lots of flying yeah, ants. Yeah, it's a day when all the ants decide to set out and fly. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> that would be my low point. Is that your low point? Or my it's point? neither because I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Congratulations! Look, I am. anyway. That was my throwaway line. My actual okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. <laughs> but all of that was outweighed by the near catastrophe of losing my Duolingo streak. Da da da! No. no. <laughs> Heavily trained. We've been waiting for weeks to hear about Christina's Duolingo. Yeah, so in case you've never used Duolingo, which I believe is true for Lillian and possibly for Ian. um, No, no, but I've I've had it inflicted on me. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Anyway, the thing about Duolingo is it's free and it helps you learn languages and that's great, but then they try and gamify it all. So they don't realise that learning a language is a game enough in itself. So what they do is they try and do things like give you ingots and um, there's league tables and then there's this whole thing about a streak. So they tell you how many days you've been doing Duolingo without a break. And it's just one of these tricks to make sure that you keep doing it every day. So I was having none of that. It's like, I'm learning a language. It doesn't matter whether I do it every day or not. I'll do it when I want to do it and damn these streaks so that was my attitude and I was really like no I don't do streaks that's really not anything I do and so forth but then when lockdown came Duolingo (laughs) was one of those things I could still do I mean right at the beginning when you thought you weren't allowed out the house there wasn't any food Mm. it was kind of something that gave a little bit of stability I know it's a bit sad to say Mm. that but it was no. There were a lot of people who seemed to be obsessed yeah, with Duolingo. It was just one of those things that it just distracted you a little bit. So unknowingly, mm. I got into the habit of doing it every day, and then after a while, I noticed I had quite a long streak, and I also noticed that my streak was more or less the length of lockdown, and therefore, if I kept my streak, I thought, oh well, I will, I will get a streak all the way to when I'm allowed out again, till when I can go out to the pub, when I can go away from home, when I can do all of that, <laughs> then I'll stop having a streak. So then I got hooked into having to keep that streak. Wow! And of course, one day we were doing a little bit of this podcasting stuff, and and then I was drinking afterwards, and I completely forgot about my streak. So <laughs> so it's all our fault. Ah, but that wasn't a problem because I woke up the next day, realised I'd lost my streak, but then I went on to Duolingo. Now, I think I didn't even realise I hadn't done it until they told me, oh, you didn't do it yesterday, but we're giving you a free streak mender. So I thought, oh, that's all right. I haven't lost it. So that was all good, all happy. Streak mender. And then I resisted all these things. They kept trying to make me maybe spend my ingots, maybe spend real money, I don't know, on buying something that would give me another streak if I missed stuff. Well, what's the point of that? If I miss something, then I should end the streak. So I resisted all that. Then one day, about last week, week before, I can't remember now, Duolingo wasn't working. So I kept going on. I tried one browser. I tried another. I tried my phone. Just wasn't working anywhere. Mm. Eventually, Google and 
it was down. Duolingo was yeah, down. Yeah, basically it was down. <laughs> oh, Technical no. problems. So I thought, it's the point where you hold the internet above your head and run no, around screaming. No, I'm losing my streak. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I've sod it. I don't care. So next morning I got up, Duolingo was working again. And that's great. I didn't have a streak. I had, oh, this is this is your one-day streak. Congratulations. I thought, oh, right. And in some ways I was pissed off because I got up to 95, so it would have been nice to get to 100. But in other ways I was relieved. It's like, hey, I don't have to do a streak thing. And I don't even Freedom. have to say, well, I lost my streak because I couldn't be bothered to do it. <laughs> so, so it was great. But then the following day, they gave me back my streak. The bastards. It's no escape. But was it nine? Had no it gone up to ninety six? Yeah, in fact, it went up to nine. They get when you miss a day and they mend your streak. They just give you the day that you didn't do, and then it goes up to ninety seven. God, it's terrifying. So are you at a hundred? Yeah, I'm well. Well, I'm over a hundred now. And they've also given oh, me wow. an extra, like a free thing to say. Well, if you lose your streak again, you can have this. It's like, oh. They're oh so determined God. to keep I me. I hate this so much because I study this kind of stuff and these are all the kind of nudging addictive techniques that they use for everything from dating agencies, you know, to making you go back to Facebook and, oh, it's terrible. That's why I didn't really want to get drawn into it all, but somehow I did. And it kind of went with lockdown as it was my way of tracking how many days it all been going on. My highlight is actually a low light, and my low light is a highlight, <laughs> in in a sense. You need so to the, get your roots done, Ian. Yeah, the <laughs> I, I take perverse delight in the government cock-ups. I just find it hilarious what they they do. Um, the one I thought was the cream of the crop was them investing in the wrong type of satellite. I was just thinking, they, they took a 20% stake in one web based on some spiv from one web who had gone bankrupt in the USA. Well, they're still functioning in the UK and they are a satellite company, but there's the wrong type of Are they owned by Chris satellite. Grayling? No, well, that's what I was going to think. Surely this is <laughs> a deal, Chris Grayling. No, no, surely this is a, a, a deal that Chris Grayling's put together. But no, 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 it's a Dominic Cummings effort. Uh, and it's just, if you know anything at all about GPS, which is what they want, they want because we no longer are part of the Galileo system mm-hmm. for yeah, the European Union. Yeah, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's uh, if you know anything at all about it, you know it doesn't work in low Earth orbit. And, and that's what they bought. Somebody who's got satellites that go to low Earth orbit. It's just, oh... I'm falling. So I took delight in it, although it's a terrible, terrible waste of time uh, and money. But my my low light or high light, depending on how you look at it, you see the satellites I thought would be high because they're high, <laughs> but they're low. Because this is it's all very confusing. Making me want my hair done. <laughs> but the other one actually happened today which was uh, our beloved Prime Minister uh, was doing a speech about how he's going to get Britain building again and we were going to have, uh, like the Americans talk about, infrastructure week every week and it never happens. And he's going to build another 40 hospitals, so that must be 80 hospitals by now. (laughs) But it was the bit... and it it, room for all these hospitals? No. Or is this just uh, another way of using the SECCCCC? 
it's the bit that has been pulled out, uh, you know, for little clips by the news people is where he's talking about, I am not a communist. I believe in, in enterprise and capitalism and the people who are going to get us through this are the, the people who are going to, you know, really uh, get business going again and, and the entrepreneurial spirit. And he goes on like this and he says, and we have clapped for the, 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 the NHS workers quite rightly, but now is the time. And he didn't actually say the words, but the implication was now we should be clapping for the hedge fund managers and the <laughs> banks <laughs> because they're the people who are now the vital key workers to see us through this. because Debenhams is going to be closed down and my mother is in absolute <gasps> oh no, denial about that's this. That's terrible news. Didn't you know? No. Debenhams has gone bust. <laughs> they, are re- they are retaining some stores. She now might, I want them all to be made be into Primark because Primark is much more useful. <laughs> no, Debenhams. Oh, is she, going, is she going to have to pivot to Primark? <laughs> she is. Isn't that a Hugh Walters novel? <laughs> pivot to pivot Primark. To Primark. <laughs> Taking a knee to Neptune. <laughs> no, no, I think it was an old dealing comedy, Pivot to Pimlico. <laughs> I want to, I want to say hello to Joseph novels. Nicholas at that point. He used to live in Pimlico. Oh, you might as well. mm-hmm. right. I want serendipity to Saturn. <laughs> Fuck the Tories. Contact tracing to... Um, there are no planets beginning with C. That's very sad. It was Charon, actually contact tracing to series. And series and hmm. asteroids, yes. We well, can now if, debate as, if Pluto's a planet. Did you say series? That's an asteroid. Series. So if asteroid time, we should say goodbye. How's that <laughs> oh for a link? Oh, my God. I think that is your pun of the week because it was the worst. <laughs> I think that's the end. I think this is the point where we say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Lillian in a, in a mum's house in Glasgow. Goodbye from Christina in Cornwall. <laughs> And goodbye from me in some place in deepest, darkest Derbyshire. Just time to say that we can receive some emocs. They're not Star Wars characters, they're emails of comment. And if you'd like to send us a comment, then you'll find our email address on the information page for this podcast. Most of our emocs were short notes congratulating us on finally getting it done. But one or two were a bit more discursive, and Lily and Christina felt they'd like to discuss one in particular. Well, Claire Borelli of Croydon said that we should have statues of llamas to replace the statues of people. So I thought that was a good suggestion. Yeah, yeah I was keen on that. Claire's was really good, generally. I think we could have more of Claire's. Yeah, she said she was impressed by your health and safety segment about how you shouldn't try and do your own blood test at home. Yes, I like that. And then she talked about um, the danger of prompting comments from Liam Proven because of your mention of Czechia. That wasn't a bad idea. And someone else mentioned Czechia. Yeah, Nula did. Nulla Fahey yeah. um, correctly said, and I did know this, but I was a bit confused, um, that Czechia is in fact one of the alternative names for the country that was formerly the Czech Republic and before that part of Czechoslovakia, and it may even be the preferred name for it, but it's not a language, <laughs> and that's what I got wrong last so time. So you were partly right. 
I was partly right, but probably not right <laughs> enough for Liam Proven. <laughs> if he wants to write in, as long as he doesn't argue that privacy doesn't exist, I don't mind. <laughs> Cue Liam. Liam.